Welcome to How Do You Write? I'm your host, Rachel Heron. On this podcast, I talk to authors about how they write, what their process is, and how their lives fit together. I'll keep each episode short so you can get back to writing. Hi, writers. Welcome to episode number 42 of How Do You Write? I'm Rachel Heron, and I'm so glad that you're here today. I am today talking to John Gaspard, and it was just so fun to interview him. Um, He is a hoot. I know that you're going to get a lot out of what he says. It was just a joy and a delight to talk to him. So please enjoy that section of the podcast. Um, Just in a quick update of what's going on around here. Oh my God, so much is going on around here. Um, It's just been one of those weeks in which everything happens, right? I um, had the Songbird Sisters came out yesterday. Um, As I recorded, it's the 5th of April. So that was April 4th that it came out. It is the third book in a trilogy. So it completes the trilogy, the Darling Songbirds uh, romance trilogy. And I just love this trilogy. It's about three sisters and I am the eldest of three sisters. And these women, I will tell you, are not based on us at all, at all, at all. Uh, for first and foremost, because my sisters would kill me. Um, but there are some similarities just like there are in all of the books I write that family loves really hard. And, um, my sisters are my best friends and they didn't have that in these books until this last book came out. So I really enjoyed repairing those relationships uh, fictionally, which I could do. It's so fun. Um, and also the girls sing. They are, they used to be a famous. <sighs> and also the girls sing. They used to be a famous uh, trio when they were really young, 20, 21. And then they broke up acrimoniously. And this is the, over the trilogy, they've been getting back together. But my sisters and I also sing. We all have singing voices we grew up singing and we do really good harmonies together and someday we're going to form a band um that day is not today because this week is hecka busy uh let's see what else is going on so that happened i broke another i cracked another tooth grinding my teeth because apparently i'm stressed out a little bit um i do wear a bite guard so that's awesome i could still crack my teeth i grind my teeth so hard i guess i am a little bit stressed i because of the book coming out probably and also because of the great big joyous incredible fact that tomorrow night i leave for venice I'm going on a writing retreat to Venice for two weeks. And um, the really, the really awesome thing about that is that it is my writing retreat. Um, I'm leading it. So this is, I'm actually financially paying my way there and back. And I have developed an amazing curriculum. It's something that I hope will really, really excite everybody who attends. And um, it's one week with them. And then I have one week by myself on my own writing retreat, all by myself. Um, So the podcast, speaking of that, though, it will be on hiatus for a couple weeks because I ain't going to try to do it while I'm out there. Um, I do not have that kind of energy. There's so much other stuff I have to do while I'm in Venice. I'm going to be leading the retreat. I'm going to be teaching my class at Berkeley online. I'm going to be working on my own writing, two different projects. So um, the podcast is not on that list. I'm saying no to the podcast. It'll be back in two to three weeks. Um, So that is ultimately exciting. Venice is my favorite place in the world, in the world. And I can't wait to see her again. I swear to you that Venice is this woman in my head, they say La Serenissima. 
And I think that that is who she is to me. And she, let me tell you, she does not care about me at all. I am just another tourist who has been there many times. Um, I come in, I go, she doesn't even see me. Uh, but we all see her and I am in love with her. So I can't wait to get to Venice. I can't wait to teach. Um, it's going to be fantastic. Enough babbling on about that. I'm super excited. If you're looking at the video over my shoulder, you might be able to see some packing. I adore packing. I have spent most of today just packing bags and moving things around. I can almost do carry-on, although because I sleep with a CPAP, um, I'm just at that level. I might check a bag. I'm not sure yet. We'll see. Uh little bit of business. Thank you to my new patrons. There are a couple of them this week. Um, Elisa Avellana and I'm probably saying that wrong. Elisa Avellana um, and RJ Theodore and Suzanne and Elisa Zoller. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much. Um, I wish you buckets and buckets and buckets of words written, uh, words that you are going to be thrilled and delighted by. And thank you for doing this. To all my current patrons, thank you. I cannot tell you how much it means to me to have you guys supporting my essays that I'm writing on creativity. And everyone who's a patron gets the book. When I'm done with the book, they, you get the essays as I write them. Um, again, thanks for supporting at any level. And I have to say I have the most fun with a $3 level. Um, for $3 an essay, which is like every six to eight weeks. Um, I don't charge monthly. I send out uh, text messages that you can reply right back to about three times a week. And those are really fun. I love talking to people on this. So thank you, new patrons and old patrons. It means the world to me to have your support. Um, that's it. Let's jump into the interview with John. You're going to really enjoy it. I'm very sorry about all the noises on this podcast. I can't shut the dogs up and apparently people are texting me. Um, but you know what? That's okay. Life happens. I hope that your texts are interesting today, and I hope that your words are from your heart, and I will see you in a few weeks. Okay, bye. Hey, you're a writer. Did you know that I send out a free weekly email of writing encouragement? Go sign up for it at rachelherron.com slash write, and you'll also get my Stop Stalling and Write PDF with helpful tips you can use today to get some of your own writing done. Okay, now on to the interview. All right. Well, today I am so happy to welcome John Gaspard onto the show. Hi, John. Hello. Hello. Thanks for having me. Of course. So glad. Uh, Let me give you a little introduction for people who might not know you. John is the author of the Eli Marks mystery series, The Ambitious Card, The Bullet Catch, The Miser's Dream, and The Linking Rings, all from Henry Press. And the covers are gorgeous. I love Henry Press covers. Mm -hmm. Uh, He has also written two popular books on low-budget filmmaking called Fast, Cheap, and Under Control and Fast, Cheap, and Written That Way, which I love that title. Um, In real life, John is not a magician, but he has directed six low-budget features that cost very little and made even less. No small trick. His blog, Fast, Cheap, Movie Thoughts, has been named one of the 50 best blogs for movie makers and one of the 100 best blogs for film and theater students. He's also written for TV and the stage. He lives in Minnesota and shares his home with his lovely wife, several dogs, a few cats, and a handful of pet allergies. <laughs> I, I Indeed. Abs- Indeed. I hear you. I'm allergic to both dogs and cats. So, and I have three dogs well, and two cats. That's good planning. Yeah, that's it was very good planning. excellent planning. <laughs> it means I wash my hands a lot and I never touch my face. So, <laughs> all right, well, let's, you do so much. It's like, it's, you're... You write in these different directions, and I would love to talk to you about your process. 
Mm-hmm. Um, what is the best time for you to write and where do you do that writing? You know, I, I, I write everywhere. Yeah. Um, you know, Stephen King talks about reading anywhere. He always carries a book. And I always have uh, my phone with me and am often just dictating things into I, uh, I sometimes just dictate them into an email and send them to myself when it comes to scenes or uh, snatches of dialogue, things like that. Where are uh, you doing that? Are you doing that in the post office in public or? Just about anywhere. <laughs> just about anywhere. Seriously. Except when I'm driving. I don't do it when I drive. But other than that, if an idea comes to me, uh, I stop doing it. Uh, if I wake up in the middle of the night, I used to do it, but it disturbs my wife. So I have a pad and pen <laughs> next to the bed and I, I silently write it down. But yeah, it's uh, th- this ideas come from anywhere and I want to make sure I grab them and, and gather them in one place. So uh, ultimately, all those ideas go into a Word document. Uh, which gets to be 20 to 30 pages long, and then you just kind of move stuff around, and that's and then you structure the book, and from that you go, and you end up using you know 60% of it, and you make up another 50% while you're writing. But I love but, I love that idea. I've never heard of that idea of outlining is really capturing your thoughts on the go as you think of them, dictation wise, and then putting them into the document, and then using that as a springboard. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, it's writing is supposed to be a very linear process eventually but mm-hmm. it doesn't have to be when you start out um there's this fear that you don't know where stuff goes and a lot of times i mean i've had when i'm done with a book one of the eli marks books i i take that word document and everything's been pulled out of it by that point that i used but there's still you know because it's about magicians anytime i hear about a good trick quote that a magician says for the next book and i just add on to that and so I mean, uh, in the most the newest book that's coming out this year, The Linking Rings, has a character named Boris, B-O-R-Y-S. Uh-huh. And I saw a waiter named Boris maybe eight years ago and wrote that down. And that's been sitting in that document as it's churned over from book to book to book that I like the name B-O-R-Y-S. And I finally had a place for it. And so it got pulled out and, and stuck in. So you have one document for the Eli Marks books that kind of is always rolling. Yeah, kind of. Yeah, kind of. Yeah. It just gets renamed for the new book and then whatever's left over gets renamed for the next book. I really so there's some that. stuff that I that I'll probably never use. Um, but you also never know when you're going to need it. So do you so, actually co- like like remove it from the document when you use it? It's it's then gone. So it's not cluttering um, up the space or do you leave it in there? This is very picky Yoon. Um, I know, I've but got, I love it. <laughs> once I've got everything you never have everything in, but once I have a general idea of that I have enough stuff and that's that's you know you only figure that I have to have her having done it a couple of times. When I feel like I have enough stuff to get started, then I will do sort of an outline at the beginning of the document. So I'll know here's what's going to happen in the first six chapters and then some other stuff happens. And here's what's going to happen in the last two chapters. Nice. So I know where I'm headed. And then I just go and pick stuff out and dump it into that outline. So the document now has an outline at the beginning of the book and we continue to just push everything down. And when you're all done, you, you save it out as this is now the book and you pull the book out and you have the document with the rest of the notes for the future and that becomes the next book. That's really cool. I don't know why I like that so much, but I really, really do. Well, it becomes a junkyard eventually because, you know, you know, I, for example, in one of the I think two books ago, uh, the, the books are about a, a magician in Minneapolis, a working magician professional who does corporate events and he lives with his uncle who is a, a, a very well-known aging magician who knows everything about magic. And at one point I wanted him to say something to his nephew about uh, uh, scolding him. And he says to his nephew, well, you know what Di Vernon said, Di Vernon being 
in the magic world, a very well-known real magician. So he said, you know what Di Vernon said? And I needed a response from Eli. So I just did a quick search in my notes for Di Vernon. And I had three, I had four different quotes from Di Vernon. So I was able to have Eli just go, he said this. And Uncle Harry go, no. He said this. <laughs> well, yes, that's true, but that's not what I mean. He said this. And so these were quotes that I've been gathering for four or five years. And I was able to just all of a sudden have them. Boom, they went into the book perfectly. And, and then, then they're gone. That's fantastic. I use, it's po- a weird I use Post-its for that kind of thing. Even to the point where I have a Post-it uh, file within any Scrivener document that I'm working on. And they're not really Post-its. They're just snippets of sentences that I've thought of that go yeah. into what I call Post-its because I need to call them that. Yeah. So when you get to the writing part, how are you writing? Are you longhand, computer? What nope. program do you use? I'm writing, I'm writing right in that Word document. Um, it lives in Dropbox. So I can pull it up if I'm... Uh, uh, out of town for work on that computer or sitting at this computer or at my iPad. Um, I've actually tweaked things on my phone with that. Dropbox is great for that. I used to use Evernote, um, but I prefer Dropbox just because it's everywhere, and I feel like it's better backed up than Evernote was. I love Dropbox. It has saved me quite a few times. when I had a catastrophic hard drive failure once, and it was just not a problem. I mean, it was an expensive problem because I needed to go get a new computer, but I opened the computer and Turned on Dropbox and everything was there. I love giving them give, my money. Can I give you a tip for that? Yeah, I would love that. Dropbox is great for that, but if you have, um, for Dropbox, I only put in stuff I need to get everywhere. Um, I'm using a service called Backblaze, mm-hmm. which um, is I think fifty dollars a year, and it comes into your computer, grabs everything, takes it offsite. Um, it's all um, encoded, so they can't really open it, but you can. And then if everything, if your house burns down, mm. just email them and you send them $200 or whatever and they send you a brand new drive and that has everything on it. Now, as a filmmaker, I have all kinds of different files that I need to hang on to. Wow. So it's a really nice service to have where all your stuff is um, really in, in the cloud in a way, which is Dropbox is doing too, but Dropbox has some limits on size and things like that. Well, and, especially for and, film. Yeah, that, yeah. That's huge. So Backblaze is great and it, it's that extra level of safety. Thank you for that. Because I have a computer friend who says, if you know, if you don't have one backup, you have no backup. You have two backups, you still don't really have a backup. Everything should be backed up in three different places. In fact, this afternoon, I just um, took a, a, a one terabyte hard drive to the uh, mailbox. It, it was holding temporarily all my photos for about 10 years, and mm-hmm. it, it failed. So, yeah. So See, yeah. I, I, and I mailed it to a data recovery place. I'm going to pay him a million dollars to try to get those photos back. So it's, it's, I can't even really think about it. Let's, let's change the subject. <laughs> I'm sorry I brought it up. No, listeners, anyway. listeners, back your stuff up. That's what we're saying. Absolutely. In every, yes. and I, and every. I back up my writing. I email my writing to myself all the time. I, I call them different. I give them, you know, the day. Mm-hmm. So they're all under yep. different files. Um, so if one gets corrupted, the others might not. But yeah, yeah, it's, it's worth, it's worth having a plan. It really is. Yeah, not, the old days, and it was right there. If you lost it, then you were done. So this done. is a much better system as long as you back stuff up. <laughs> and how do you refill the creative well when you're running dry? Well, uh, I'm in a unique position because I'm writing about a profession that I don't do. I'm mm-hmm. writing about, about a, a real magician who has real knowledge about a, a real thing. And the books, although they're not designed to be read by magicians, magicians who like mysteries do enjoy them and have pointed out how accurate they are. And that's, that's for me, the biggest thing is making sure the magic stuff is accurate, which means I have to keep 
finding out about new tricks, new magicians, old magicians, uh, feuds people have had, things that have happened in the magic world, quotes, things that have gone wrong, things that have gone right. I just I end up uh, trying to see as much magic as I can and see as many different magicians as possible. And then I like to uh, listen to books on tape when I drive to work. Yeah. I listen to some mysteries just to get that that mindset. Uh, but, you know, biographies, uh, anything that just kind of refills you one way or another. Now, let me ask you, um, so you have all this magic trick. You have this, this, this base, this well of knowledge. And you say you're not a magician, but like pushing a little bit further, do you perform magic tricks for your wife? Do you try them out? Do you no? Dabble? Although she's very patient, I have dab. I I can do a couple card tricks because at book signings you kind of have to. Oh yeah. In order to get some level of interest, although I have hired magicians for, for book signings. Um, let me, let me ask you this: Have you ever met in your life a magician, professional magician? Never. Not once. Yeah. You're the average person. And when I do readings or book signings, I'll ask that question. And a couple people raise their hands. Um, they say that people on average will see three magic live magic performances in their life. Yeah. I wish it were more than that. I think but I've only isn't. ever seen one. So my, yeah. Well, there. if you get a good one, yeah. it's great. If you get a bad one, it'll turn you off uh. to the whole thing. So my job as the writer is I need to know just more than you know. The yeah. average magicians, um, I, I need to get up to that level of knowledge uh, and then make sure that when I'm presenting the tr- tricks in the book, they're presented in a way that don't it does not give away how it's done. But if you're a magician reading, it, you'll go, oh, yeah, he asked that question before he did this. That's exactly how you do. <laughs> so they know that it's being presented properly. And and I, at first I thought people might be annoyed by not knowing how a trick works while reading the book, but I've gotten a lot of notes that say, no, this is fun. I don't need to know. I like the way it's presented. Yeah, so, totally. That, that's the biggest, the biggest challenge for me is just refilling that and keeping up on magicians, which is hard when I live in, you know, uh, Minneapolis and there's no venue where you can see magic all the time and uh, yeah. magic on TV is not the same as live magic. It's, it's a whole, it's my own problem, but it, that's hard. <laughs> to refill as much as I can is to get out and see real magicians. Very cool. Very cool. And what is the worst writing advice you've ever been given? I don't know if this really qualifies as advice. Um, you know, I, I've, I've, made, I've made a bunch of low-budget movies over the years and then had an idea for a novel about Jack the Ripper. And I wrote that and luckily found a very good agent in New York for it. Very very nice woman and she worked very hard for a year trying to sell it and she really liked the book and she thought it was worth doing and she could not sell it she said i'm sorry mm-hmm. it's the market new um do you have anything else and i was working on the first eli marks book the ambitious card at that point so i gave her that and she loved that and she spent a year trying to sell that uh. could not sell it. I'm a new writer it's 2008 2009 the bottom had dropped out of the market yeah nothing you can do so she said, I'm going to, yes, I, I'm not going to waste your time anymore because I can't do this. I said, fine. And then I happened to find another agent who had just retired, but she still wanted to keep her hand in. And she loved both books. And so she spent a year doing the same thing. She was very complimentary on the first agent. She looked at the list. She said, she's really done a great job here. Let me try. Uh, a year later, she said, I just can't. Oh, how frustrating. Um, I can't. Um, and so at that point, you go, well, you should probably give up, right? Because why not? But I didn't, and I happened to be flipping through the pages of a mystery scene magazine, which I read because it's interesting. And there was a review of a book, 
and it wasn't my book at all. But the tone of the book sounded like my book. It was kind of fun and different. And, and I looked at the name of the publisher, and it was Henry Press. And I'd never heard of Henry Press. Went online. They were very new. I think they had about a dozen books at that point, maybe. I sent it in. Got an email back saying, thank you so much. We have a lot of submissions. We'll get back to you in a couple months. A week later, the uh, editor called and said, somehow you got to the top of my list. I don't know why, but I love this book. Um, we want to publish it. So if I had given up, which would have been a very reasonable thing to do, absolutely. After two years of agents saying, then nothing would have happened. But I, you know, there's a way in. There's always a way in. Yeah. And I think it helps to to do things like read Mystery Scene magazine or do anything where you you're finding out stuff. I did, uh, I used to read the there's a, a site called I think WaterCooler.com which had a oh, lot yeah. of information. Absolute for, right, WaterCooler. Yeah. That yeah, I'd read that all the time. And and just not give up if you think you have something good. And in the case of those two books, both the agents were very complimentary. They weren't just trying to be nice. I mean, their agents are not going to be nice. Oh, they're, they're, yeah, so exactly. They're not they're, interested they're, in being nice. They're interested in making money. You know, yeah. Okay. Exactly. So that was encouraging, but then discouraging when neither one of them could do anything with it. Well, good for you for persisting. That's you got to persist. Really, really awesome. Um, what, speaking of awesome, what secret writing tip of awesomeness did you discover the hard way? Um, the, it's one of the best pieces of advice I've ever heard. And I wish I would have heard this before I finished the first two books, which is I, Elmore Leonard said something like, um, don't write the parts that people skip. Oh, I love that piece of advice. Which sounds, yeah. sounds sort of flip, but then I would go back with the book and even I would be skipping reading some of this stuff and, and you go, all right, you really need to cut to the chase here. Um, and that's sort of uh, meshed with, uh, there's a screenwriter named Paul Schrader who wrote Taxi Driver and other things. And his description of how to write a scene, uh, I thought was really great advice. He said uh, a scene in a movie or a play or a book is a cocktail party. And you want to get there as late as you possibly can. Mm. It's entertaining can and and leave as soon as you can and so if with that in mind when you're writing a scene and you take elmer leonard's advice of leaving out the stuff people skip it it tightens up your writing and you, yeah. you get to the point faster and you get out faster i love that i use that directly um and i i often feel those parts that people would skip coming and i don't always know that's mm -hmm. why i'm feeling this but it's the scene that i'm really just like oh god i don't want to write the scene where they talk about it in the kitchen well yeah you don't need the scene where they talk about it in the kitchen yeah. Just yeah, and, so and when you learn, yeah, when yeah. you learn to stop writing those, you don't even have to waste time removing mm -hmm. them later. Yeah, yeah, that's yeah. awesome. Can you give us a quick craft tip of any sort? I don't know if this qualifies as craft, but it's it's coming handy. And it was said to me by a playwright, I want to say forty years ago. I was working on a low budget movie. We had written the script. We were getting ready to shoot, but it wasn't done yet, and it was. A, it just was it was working three quarters of it was working and the ending wasn't working and we couldn't figure out why and I gave it to him and he said I don't know what the solution is but the solution you need is already in that script you just need to go back and find it mm. you don't need to add anything it's already in there you just need to go find it and in this instance there was a minor character early on that we kind of forgotten about who it made perfect sense to make him come back and, um, and it's it's always stuck with me that there's, there's a tendency sometimes to think in order to fix something, I have to add. Oh, God, yeah. When, in fact, if you just go back and look, there's some, the solution's earlier. You just need to look for it. 
I mean, when people say with movies, they'll say this scene didn't work and they think it's because that scene, the scene they're talking about didn't work when in fact, often it's the scene before that didn't work, but they're not feeling it until they get to the next scene. And I think the same is true in writing where the, the problem is actually much earlier and the solution is earlier as well. I love that instead of throwing more things in which is mm-hmm. definitely what I have done in the past. Just, you know, it's, it's not working. Add more plot. Yeah. No, yeah, no. He, used to, he, he called it back. organic writing. It's just, it's organic. You just need to go back in. It's there. You just need to just to find it. And so much of our writing does go that way. Like I, I, I'll realize on my, you know, my, my second pass through that what I put in there, I didn't make sense at the time is something that I absolutely needed at the very end of the book, but I, yep. my brain knew somehow that's, yep. that's great. On really bad days, what other profession do you wish you had? Um, I I really enjoy video editing, uh, editing dramatic stuff, mm-hmm. and I do get to do it occasionally, but I've never really made any money at it. But if if that were a a viable alternative, I would uh, I'd love to sit down and do that because it's it's like writing with video. Oh, okay, I was going to say what what attracts you about it, but it's yeah, it's. It's the, uh, I've, you know, I've made a number of movies and so I've edited a lot of stuff, but I don't get to do it that often, but it, it's the last, it's the last draft. It's what you're doing. You're taking on all the pieces you have and you have to forget about everything else. You have to forget about what it was like the day you shot it and mm. who you liked and who you didn't like. And here's the pieces you have and what can you do to put them together in a way that's going to tell the story and captivate the audience. And it's, um, it's kind of a lonely job, but it is really fun. Storytelling in puzzle pieces. Yeah. Yeah. Sort okay. of. Like that. pieces of time. Yeah. If you were starting over as a brand new writer right now, what would you tell baby John? Oh boy. You know, I might've already known this, um, but it's okay to be bad when you start, mm. you're going to be bad. Mm-hmm. Um, I started as a screenwriter and I wrote half dozen, 10 really bad screenplays. But I learned from every one of them, um, and and that's really I think with writing that's really the only way you. There's a tendency to go I need to take a class or I need to buy another book on how to do it or I need to. No, no, you just need to keep doing it and you just keep doing it and you keep doing it, and you're going to get better at it. But yep. if you're sitting down thinking, well, okay, this first one's going to be perfect, you're never going to you're never going to get there. Yeah, and I don't think I don't think new writers can hear that too much. You know, I think we just yeah, it, have to keep saying it because it's true for all of us. Yeah. Well, when you look at a book, you go to the bookstore and pick up a book. It looks perfect. It's great. Right. Um, Must have come out of them that way. The line, you think. Yeah. Somewhere, somewhere Stephen King published or printed somewhere um, his editor's notes on a chapter from one of his books. And, and although I love Stephen King – he writes too much. He just like end the book, end the book, end the book. <laughs> but anyway, I was amazed at you know he's written fifty, sixty, I don't know how many novels. The the level of detail that the editor was going into on you know you don't need this word. The sentence should be this way. Cut this. Move this here. I need to go really after all that, and there's still an editor who has to go in, and you don't see that as a as a beginning writer. It you just see the finished product and think well that's how it comes out. But it doesn't come out that way. It's, there's a lot of steps in there. Yep. And there's that whole problem of the gap that, you know, people who want to write are excellent readers and they know what good writing is. 
And, mm-hmm. and then that frustration sets in when they read their own work and you know, because your taste is excellent, that it's not up to your standard. And that's so painful to work through. And the only way to work through it yep. is to keep on writing crap. And yep. Eventually you get better. Thank you. I'm for all that. for it. <laughs> and what would you like to tell us about right now? Where can we find you? Well, um, where can you find me? Um, I'm on uh, a Facebook, mm-hmm. John Gaspard author. Um, where else can you find me? Um, well, I know I have um, the Eli Mark series has a um, a, a, f- a free short story that people might want to get into the series, oh, uh, which is an easy way to get into the series. Um, and um, the way of getting it in print is tricky. But if you just go to um, uh, SoundCloud, SoundCloud.com and search for the Invisible Assistant, you can get a nice 40-minute audiobook version of it. Oh, fantastic. Because um, all the books, I've produced them as audiobooks as well. Uh, and we have a great narrator. And um, I keep telling people, read the book, sure, but you're much better off listening to it. Because I enjoy it much more listening to it than I do reading it. I and I'm sitting while we're recording it. I mean, I'm running the board and editing it all. But he's such a good narrator, and he really brings it to life. So anyway, it's called The Invisible Assistant. Go to SoundCloud.com and search for that, and you get a free copy of it. And you can it'll just it'll get you into the series. It'll introduce some of the characters and give you a sense of what it's like. And it's cool. a fun little locked door mystery. I will. Um, oh, I love locked doors. Um, I will link to that in the show notes, listeners, too, so you can just come over and check it out there. Well, thank you so much for your time, John. And I hope thank that you get some good writing great. done this week. Thanks for being on the show. I hope so. <laughs> We're in refill mode, but thank you. Okay. Take care. Okay. Bye. Thanks so much for joining me on this episode of How Do You Write? You can reach me on Twitter, Rachel Heron, or at my website, rachelheron.com. You can also support me on Patreon and get essays on living your creative life for as little as a buck an essay at patreon.com slash Rachel, spelled R-A-C-H-A-E-L. And do sign up for my free weekly newsletter of encouragement to writers at rachelheron.com slash write. Now go to your desk and create your own process. Get to writing, my friends.